Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 30th, 2010. Now, newcomers to the show should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, that's my website, and you'll see all the official sites I have listed on the front page. Bookmark them for future use, it's awful handy if the com site goes down. Uh, you'll always get a clean download, hopefully, from the other sites. That's sometimes what happens. So many folk go into the comm site at the same time for downloads. They sometimes experience a kind of sticking on the download. Try these alternate sites listed on the front page there. And they all have transcripts of a lot of the talks to go along with the audios. And you can print up these transcripts in English. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu. Once again, there's a link on the comm site to it. And you can choose from a variety of languages of the world. And remember, you're the audience that bring me to you, so please support me. It's up to you. I can go off and do other things and and start earning money for a change because uh, you don't earn anything here, believe you me. It's uh, just scraping by at the moment. So for those who want to support me in these dangerous times, and that's the only reason I'm out here right now, trying to educate people in the history of how we got here, who's behind it, and where it's going, uh, then if you want to hear more of it, uh, support me by buying the books and the discs I have for sale. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can use a personal check. You can use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. Some people just send cash, and some people um, will also use Western Union. Western Union is very expensive, I think, um, so it's best to go some other way. PayPal can be used for ordering or donating. Use a donation button and followed by an email if you're ordering with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. And that goes the same across the rest of the world. Uh, you're stuck with PayPal for ordering and donating, or sending, um, what you can send as a moneygram, actually. You moneygrams from a lot of stores over in Europe. Uh, post it. Don't wire it. Post it. It's cheaper. And um, that gets to me in about a week or so. Use PayPal to order, as I say, and donate as well. If you want to purchase through PayPal, send a separate email with your name, address, and order after the donation, and I'll get it out to you. And that's really what we're left with these days, because everything's going wireless, basically wireless transactions, and electronic uh, cash, etc. And that seems to be the, how the big boys want it, because they can really keep tabs on everyone's spending and incomes and all the rest of it. And that's really one of the main reasons the Internet's out there, apart from conditioning everyone to put all their data on there so they can get a good full personality profile on you and mark you down as safe or unstable or maybe a problem and all of that kind of stuff, which is going on and has been going on since the beginning. Because we are going through the greatest change in history we've experienced for centuries. And the big boys themselves admitted that a long time ago, even when I was young. They knew it was all coming up, and they knew they were integrating the world under a standardized system, not a nice democratic system where supposedly the people are served by uh, the governments. It's the other way around. People have to serve, serve the governments of the world in this particular system. We're now 
uh, in a post-democratic system, and that's pretty well officially come out from the Club of Rome. Democracy was too slow and cumbersome, too many competing and conflicting parties all demanding things that they said they could get nothing done. So that great UN think tank said they'd have to go post-democratic into an authoritarian type of society to speed things up and get it moving. And since 2001, you've, you've, you've seen enough of that already, I'm sure, and yet you ain't seen nothing yet, in a sense, as to what really is coming down. Because the big boys, again, in many of their books, the ones who attended all the global meetings for through the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, wrote in their memoirs about this wonderful utopia they're bringing in where we're all obey the masters. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, I've gone over so many different of the big authors, many of their books I should say, and, and quotes and given statements by them and where they plan to bring the world. They talked about standardizing a whole world system using the British Empire initially and the earlier phases of it as a nucleus basically that they'd build around for a global empire. And it's interesting to note too that the drafters of this, who were based in London at the time primarily and in America, uh, through the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, they they said that uh, initially Britain would pay the costs in men, equipment, taxations and so on to bring in this world system across the world and then they'd hand it to the U.S., which is exactly what they did, in fact, and the U.S. has been paying for it since. And interesting, too, uh, they also knew that the quality of life in their own countries would go down because these top guys were eugenicists. They wanted to use the masses, and they knew, that too, that they'd lose an awful lot of them in the big wars they planned to take over the world. But they also knew they'd take down the masses once they started to, to near their goal. And uh, that's what you're seeing now with the cries on depopulation from the big boys like Rockefeller. Bill Gates and um, that other front woman uh, who gives most people their views, most women and their views definitely on daily television, Oprah Winfrey, because they all belong to the lucky gene club, as I like to call it, uh, and they have talked about rapid depopulation. It's time now for rapid depopulation. And people, you know, cannot, and, and they have a terrible time trying to, they get lost in the emotive uh, speeches are given by big players at big meetings. They follow for the propaganda, whereas those in on the act uh, know to read between the lines and what they're really aiming at, so they don't get uh, confused with the, the wonderful-sounding charitable aims that these uh, people are pushing. They don't get confused at all. They know what their main primary goals are. And um, we know that so there's many meetings going on now to do with climate change, of course, it's just a, a new priesthood for you. And various of the big players talked about bringing in a new priesthood, a scientific priesthood. And these characters really are anything but scientific. Um, I call them the weather priests, basically, because uh, they're all getting very handsomely paid for their non-governmental organizations. And some of the scientists, too, a lot of the scientists, well, pretty well all those scientists at the meetings are living high on the hog now because of this new religion of global warming 
And it doesn't matter as, 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 if hell freezes over. It's still going to be called global warming. It doesn't matter if God came down himself, whatever God you want to choose from, and uh, told them they're all wrong, they'd have to nuke them. Because the agenda is set in stone, and this is the one, this is the one thing they've hinged everything on, uh, to change the world by rationing. And I said it 2001 when it came along, and you see a whole war scenario across the world, including rationing. And this is the start of rationing coming supposedly to save the world. These guys are the greatest con artists at the top you'll ever, ever meet. And they work for the, the biggest players and the richest men on the planet back them. Because eventually you'll have no rights, no property, and you will be gradually brought down in population very quickly, apart from the slow sterilization techniques they've used so far on general populations of the West with inoculations in their food, their GMO food and so on. You'll also get taken down much quicker uh, in, in the very near future. I think they've already started it, in fact. Be, you know, you can, you can live in areas for an awful long time and adapt. You adapt. You're a very adaptable species, as they know at the top. And when the death rate starts going up in your areas, you, you initially say, oh, that's a bit strange, and people might, might chat here or there. They might not at all. Generally, they don't. And you can come to accept uh, new high levels of death very, very quickly and take it as, as a new normal. We already treat cancer as a new normal. At one time, cancers were very rare. And it was taught in medical, medical schools that most of the most common ones now were extremely rare at one time. Only 30, 40, and 50 years ago, they were very rare cancers. Now they're just busting it all over. Just like all the test animals that they fed the GMO foods to. Anyway, this climate priesthood club are meeting, of course, in Cancun to push the next bit of the scary scenarios. And, of course, I'll put up tonight, too, a link to some of the quotes that I've given in the past where the top leaders of these summits admitted to their own, you know, their own converted crowd, the other lesser priests uh, down below them, that we always give out scary scenarios to make the public uh, succumb and give in to our demands. Scary scenarios. And all these ridiculous, scary scenarios right out at this moment. This is when they, they churn them all out, all ridiculous stuff. Utterly scary, you see. Because there's nothing to base their bogus science on as we go into a cooling period. And as I say, Britain is under snow right now and lots more to come. Anyway, here you go from this article here, the Telegraph. It says, uh, Cancun Climate Change Summit, the scientists are calling for rationing. So there you go, I said it in 2001, you get rationing. Because in all war scenarios, they're using perpetual war strategy now. Uh, on the whole world, perpetual war. It's one thing after another, never, never ending war. War on this, war on that. And war on terror, which is actually a war or a reign of terror on your mind. So they're calling for rationing in the developed world. So here you go. Global warming is now such a serious threat to mankind that climate change experts, you see these priests are experts, are calling for a second world war style rationing in rich countries to bring down carbon emissions. It's interesting that every top scientist has said that carbon follows a warming period. And I've got all these amazing graphs and so on that go back for hundreds and hundreds of years to prove their points. But that doesn't matter, you see. Facts don't matter in this particular religion because it's a mission. It's really a mission, you see, to change us and to get us all paying carbon taxes and paying for every breath that you breathe. CO2. So in a series of papers published by Guess Who, the Masonic Royal Society, the ones with the Royal Charter to exist, uh, physicists and chemists from some of the world's most respected scientific institutions 
including Oxford University and the Met Office, all they were in grants, agreed that the current plans to tackle global warming are not enough. Well, they never will be, of course. And you should see what, how many jets that they fly all these characters around in to go to these meetings. It's just amazing. And then they have their 20 course lunches and some of them have even got spas in their rooms. You know, this is the upper class, you know, the ones that make you, tell you how to live in little mud huts, you know. Anyway, it says, unless emissions are reduced dramatically in the next 10 years, the world is set to see temperatures rise by more than 4 degrees centigrade. Utter, utter tr- tripe, tripe. But as early as two, uh, 2060, causing floods, droughts, and massive migration. We've all got the massive migration already, and it's forced migration, and it's encouraged by the United Nations, and it's also economic. It says, the world meets in Cancun, Mexico, for the latest round of the UN uh, on talks on climate change. The influential academies uh, called in for tougher measures to cut carbon emissions. Uh, in one paper, Professor Kevin Anderson Director of Tyndale Center for Climate Change Research. These guys just get paid peanuts because no one cared about the weather. You know, no one could predict the weather. And suddenly it's a science. They can tell you exactly how it's going to be, all these scary scenarios. And they're living high in the hog now, like kings, with all, all this money thrown at them. So these guys have got a lot to lose. If, if not that it will be proven bogus, because it's a bogus religion that they're involved with. Anyway, he said the only way to reduce global emissions enough while allowing the poor nations to continue to grow is to halt economic growth in the rich world over the next 20 years. We're rich, by the way. You know, all those countries that are now paying for the next uh, 500 years with compound taxes to pay off all these debts incurred by the banks going down. We're, we're, We're the rich guys. We're the rich guys that are paying for all these third world countries to build all their, their, their uh, pollutant factories and so on abroad. Because they're exempt from it. I'll be touching on that next, by the way. They're exempt on that for 20 years, which can be renewed for another 20 years. So they can pump out as much as they want. But you guys, lay up a cigarette and you'll have your, you'll be decapitated in public. Anyway, it says this will mean a drastic change in lifestyle for many people in countries like Britain, as everyone will have to buy less carbon intensive goods and services such as long haul flights and fuel hungry cars. I think you think they were talking about themselves, all these rich pigs at the top, and that's what they are, they're pigs, because they're liars too. Professor Anderson admitted it would not be easy to persuade people to reduce the consumption of goods. Remember what I said too, we're post, uh, this is the post-consumerist society that decided that a long time ago. Post-consumerism is all part of this, so this is getting used for also pushing uh, that particular agenda as well. He said politicians should consider a rationing system similar to the one introduced during the last time of crisis in the 1930s and 40s. This could have been a limit on electricity, so people are forced to turn the heating down, turn off the lights, and replace old electrical goods like huge fridges with more efficient models, which, by the way, they've tested, and they've found that they're no more efficient than the old ones. Some of them are worse. Food that has traveled from abroad may be limited, and goods that require a lot of energy to manufacture. Now, the thing is, too, that these same governments, you see, under the United Nations agendas, have been forcing the small farming farmers off the land for years, since World War II. Whatever, steeper and steeper requirements and so on. Make it impossible for them to carry on. And so a lot of countries now are dependent for imports of food, because no one's growing it at home. Think about that, too, I hope. So the Second World War and the concept of rationing is something we need to seriously consider if we're to address the scale of the problems we face, he said. Professor Anderson insisted that halting growth in the rich world does not 
necessarily mean re- recession or a worse lifestyle. Oh, really? It just means making adjustments. That's all. Adjustments in everyday life, such as using public transport and wearing a sweater that rather than turning on the heating. I'm sure he'll be doing that too. You know, where he looks at the stars and makes comparisons with the zodiac, looks at the Kabbalah and says, yep, there's going to be a really high increase in CO2. Because that's really what it boils down to. It's utter nonsense. It says, I'm not saying we have to go back uh, to living in caves. He said our emissions were a lot less 10 years ago and we got by okay then. The last round of talks in Copenhagen last year ended in a weak political accord to keep temperature rise below the dangerous tipping point of 2 degrees centigrade. Well, it hasn't gone up, so what's his problem? Be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix reading this awful article from the Telegraph. It's really a PR piece, it's a propaganda piece to scare us all uh, to get ready for the next phase of, which is going to be rationing of all kinds of things. And they're going to eventually bring in carbon taxes on every individual person. Uh, Not everyone, but on the planet, all the third world countries will be exempt for 20 years or so, as we put all our money over there to build factories and so on for them. You see, that's what we did with China, by the way. China didn't make itself. It was created by the Western countries under agreements with the World Trade Organization. And that's why we paid for the factories we all had at one time. We paid for them to uproot and go all the way to China, set up there again, all by your tax money, and they could actually claim losses for the first 10 years if they claimed they weren't getting the expected profits in by then, which could be extended for another 10 years if need be. And they're all doing it. You have no idea what's been happening, none at all. Your mushrooms are kept in the dark and fed you know what. There's another article here on Cancun, which touches on a few things. And I think it's um, it's, it's got some pretty good stuff here. It's... it's it's from India, but it does touch on a few aspects, such as the accord. See, this is really this is really this meeting right now on climate is really a, a big economic summit to do with redistribution of the world's wealth from you know you rich guys out there they're all bankrupt to the other countries where the big boys have already set up shop. I don't even realize when they keep seeing emerging nations. Isn't it interesting that a few years ago and I read it on the air here, the Republic broadcast and radio. I read on the air that the Rothschild family, and I put the links up too, there's a video there where they were going into India and they'd already demolished so much of Indian farming by putting them under because of the genetically modified seed that Monsanto and others were pushing on them. And you can't keep the seed, you see. It doesn't grow next year. You've got to buy new stuff every year. And they were forced to use the pesticides and it was literally destroying their land and their water supplies and everything else. And then they're committing suicide by the thousands, literally thousands, and they still are, by the way. But there's Rothschild just buying them up by the thousands. Because, you see, these boys go in and they put their money in. This is an old tactic with Rothschild. You, 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 you just demolish your, your, your potential enemy and you take all that he's got for peanuts. 
And that's what they did because they were determined through the UN and all their, their, their front groups, uh, they would take over India and the whole economy. They'd be, they'd own the economy of India and all the food supply as well. They did the same thing, by the way, in Brazil, this other up and coming country didn't happen by itself, is because the money is poured in by the big boys, and sure enough, there's the Rothschilds again, by masses and masses of land for the last few years. Because that's going to get matched through the UN, dollar for dollar, with all the other groups that must then go in. Great, great scams, eh? But not for anyone else, just for themselves, you see. They've been at this for a long, long time, these guys. Lots of experience down through the centuries. But anyway, from this particular article here, it's just the Cancun summit success hinges on the ICA. That's another accord that they made, you see, to do with redistribution of wealth. And further down the page, this, this particular author says, for the second successive year, the success of the annual climate change conference, the two-week meetings begin in Mexico resort towns Monday, seems to hinge on how much major developing countries like India are willing to let the international community scrutinize the actions they are taking to tackle the problem. See, they're exempt from it. They can put out uh, smokestacks there, they're fueled by coal and everything else, same as China and Brazil. And there's no penalties whatsoever because they're bringing them up as they take us down. But we're paying for all. Just unlike the rich countries, they still call us rich countries, they grouped together in Annex 1 of the 1997 Kyoto Protocol. Developing countries like China, India or Brazil are not required to cut down on their greenhouse gas emissions, the single biggest reasons for reason for global warming. But in view of the rapidly increasing emissions, China is already the largest emitter in the world, while India is fourth largest. There is near unanimity that unless these countries also take steps to control the growth of their emissions, the battle with climate change cannot be won by the human race. However, the rich countries are bound by an international treaty. Just to let you all know that, you, which, that your own papers aren't telling you, you have to go to India to find out. Rich countries are bound by an international treaty to reduce their emissions by specified targets over a time period. The major developing nations are only expected to take voluntary actions that will help in reducing the global emissions over a long period. Both India and China, for example, have offered to take steps to increase their energy efficiencies against voluntary. Here's where one of the major fault lines of the climate uh, uh, summit negotiation lies. Developed countries feel that India or China is at an obvious advantage. Well, naturally, if everyone else is going to pay through the nose for every little bit of heat you have and you're paying for all the energy made to, to make that uh, little cell phone you're damaging your brain with uh, and you have to pay the carbon tax on that by the way, um, then of course the guys who pay nothing are going to just go ahead in leaps and bounds. It says the purely voluntary nature of their commitments mean they cannot be held accountable like China and so on. The rich countries therefore are in favor of developing a mechanism to hold these nations to their world, their word. India or China do not want any outsider to supervise their actions and argue that they're already making a concession by taking specific actions that, unlike the Annex I countries or one countries, they're not legally mandated to take. So you see, we're already bound to pay for that. But mind you, we're already paying for their hospitals in China. I hope you all realize that, because they're still classed as a third world country. The biggest producer in the world in manufacturing is still classified under uh, their, their legal definitions as a third world country. So we've got to build their hospitals, same in India and same in Latin America. That's the deal, folks. Back with more after this.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. So from Cancun to uh, the International Conference on Population and Development, it's the 15th anniversary, for those who don't know, this vital, important thing. And Hillary Clinton was the main speaker there, of course. And it's all about depopulation. I had a caller last night who asked about depopulation in third world countries. And I mentioned that Kissinger brought it up years ago and put a bill through uh, on uh, depopulating the third world because it was, a major, it was the most major threat to state security or national security. But, uh, of course, there are other countries were involved with it, and it goes through the United Nations under the guise of helping women. So I mentioned at the beginning of the show, too, uh, that people don't know how to read things. They, they get caught up by the emotional uh, stuff that's put inside the, by the scriptwriters because scriptwriters write all this stuff for these people to parrot, like Hillary Clinton, because her mouth cannot get around to half of the stuff that's even done here. Her brain certainly doesn't work that way. Her mouth is like a, a, a sailor, actually. But anyway... She's so worried, being a good mum and all, about the health of women across the world, and she wants to make sure, as they all do, of course, that they have the rights to health care, family planning, and all the rest of it, uh, which means abortion and sterilization and so on and so on. But um, she mentions that uh, the commitment to, it, to achieve the Millennium Development Goal 5. Now, the Millennium Development Goal is also part of Agenda 21. They keep, they're alternating terms for the same thing. The UN uh, eventually was advised to change it because we were all mentioning and reading off the Agenda 21 from the United Nations, the big long-term plan for depopulation and so on, and um, getting us all into sustainable habitats and through our much smaller uh, societies and so on. And uh, they changed it to Millennium Development Goals, and they also use sustainable development for the same agenda as well. Anyway, the part five on the go, namely a three-fourth reduction in global maternal mortality and in universal access to reproductive health care across the world. The goal is, again, critical to and interconnected with every other millennium pro- development goal. And it is. They're all connected together, depopulation, etc., etc. Well, you go through the female for that, you see. But the world has made less progress towards fulfilling the goal than any other. Then she goes on about the money that the U.S. alone is going to pump into it. That's your tax money again, folks, for those who don't know. These are not charitable institutions. It's just the U.S. Congress recently appropriated more than $640 million in foreign assistance to family planning and reproductive health programs worldwide. Sounds wonderful, health programs. Health is a nice word, and they use these touchy-feely nice words uh, to do the most drastic, awful things, you see. So I'll put this link up as well uh, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show, and you can look it up for yourself. Now, there's a caller on the line, and it's Clint from Ontario. Are you there, Clint? Oh, hello. Yes. Alan? Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got a, sound like I got cut off there. Thank you for taking my call. Um, the caller last night touched on the subject, uh, the female. She mentioned Zionism mm-hmm. as well, and as you know, I wanted to talk to you about that, about the Protocols of the Wise Men of Zion from Bill mm-hmm. Cooper's book. And after reading it, uh, it really uh, solidifies my opinion that not only World War II, what they did with the Jews there, it, it, it kept um, 
it kept people from bringing up Zionism or anything to do with the Jews, mm-hmm. and it, to to make it seem like everybody would be anti-Semitic to this plan. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, with this protocols, um, a lot of people have said that I've seen on the net, anyways, have said that it's a bunch of bull. But after reading it, I find it amazing, like how true it is to what's going on today. Like with every aspect of government controlling government, banks, not, not only masonry, but the media, everything. And uh, after talking with a friend of mine here in town, who I befriended a while ago, uh, he's taught me a lot, not only with the corruption, but is in life itself, uh, finding myself and whatnot. But uh, he says it's just a part of the plan like uh, rewriting history, uh, like, you know, like you've said yourself with uh, King James and Francis Bacon and Karl Marx and all those guys and how they, it's a part of the plan and they just keep re- rewriting history here. Now, yeah. um, you've also mentioned in your book with, with Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's spelled with, this, with an S. As well. Uh, yeah, and, and is that is that a god to them or... It's Kabbalistic. Uh, you don't understand. Um, in Kabbalah, Kabbalah, you can use the first couple of letters of uh, two words together. And so the old term for the wilderness of sin, sin also is the, the moon, by the way. And uh, so you take S-I and you have um, O-N is also. You have the, the moon and then S-O um, is, uh, or O-N is on, on itself is one of the names of the obelisk or, or the, the virile parts of the, of man or the world agenda. And so it's, it, that's where the word hard comes from, the hard followed by, you know, it comes right out of that language in that, so that particular, um, religion, you might say. And it goes all the way back to ancient Egypt. Uh, so, uh, the obelisk was also an on as well as a ben ben. There's different names for different descriptions of aspects of it. Uh, but the on was the power. And so you have literally also a, a reflection of uh, the moon and sun together, the harmony, also the opposites together. Through a dialectic, you always end up with the desired effect. And uh, they did this even in ancient times in, in Egypt as well. They loved the puns on words. They would put puns on words. And it's interesting, even in uh, Egyptian the word for uh, your natural son, an offspring, is, is S-E-N. And, uh, of course, the, the, the term for the son is all S-O-N for the, in the sky, or S-U-N for the sky. So they love the puns in words, and we still have that today. And there's a lot of that, of course, done in Kabbalah with the first couple of letters of each word put together. It's a form of opposites. Yeah. yeah, you show that good in your books, like how certain English words now, like the uh, thing like Zion and other words, are broken down with that the meanings in it, into the, into the words. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. There's too many, and even in the English language, introduced into the English language to to be happenstance and, and coincidence. You, you can't keep falling over coincidences with so many different words. It's almost like a code, right? Like in a way. Well, actually, they use it like a code, and Masons use it too. And Albert Pike talks about that. He said that uh, we never speak so plain, plainly as when uh, we Masons, he's talking about, never speak so plainly as when we talk to each other in public, because the public hear one thing, and of course the Masons get a different meaning. So they talk like this. This is their way of amusing themselves, in fact. But Scion, Scion also meant um, uh, meant a cutting, a cutting. 
of a plant uh, as a scion, you know. So when you graft a, a cutting from a plant to get a hybrid going, uh, it's a, you're, it's a, you're cutting a scion, it's a scion. And it's also the same with your offspring, is as a cutting, if you like, off, off the, the father uh, who's bred him and the mother, of course. And of course, they, they wrap this into the tree of life mysticism and so on. They love, they love mystic language in Freemasonry. And, uh, and so you, you join the tree of life when you're high up there and you have all the credentials to join the tree of life as such. Yeah. It's, it's, it could be like a, a more advanced of form of gematria uh, again, right? Yeah. And also sometimes put an S-C-I-O-N in there just to confuse you with a, a scion, which is the, the splice off of it. But when you have the, the phonetic, um, uh, words spoken, and they all sound the same. There's a reason for them all sounding the same. It's because it's part of a, an ancient tradition. And remember, too, that Bacon and these guys were all part of the Rosicrucians, and Queen Elizabeth I, the court, of her, was staffed really by the first openly Rosicrucian court of, in Britain. Yeah. So could they, could they all be, like, are they Jews, like all of them? No, no. No, you don't have to be. You can be grafted. You can be grafted into it. And, um, and, and that's where the confusion comes into a lot of this too. Uh, there's no doubt whatsoever there are societies that go down through the ages. Even many Jews are unaware that there are societies within Judaism uh, with a different agenda altogether, in fact, than what they think. And uh, uh, we've had the, the, the Sabbateans, for instance, they were a massive group led by a messiah in the Middle Ages, and he was going to attack uh, um, Medina, I think it was, and then the, the, the local uh, prince got a hold of it and, and captured him and his followers, and they, they all converted to Islam. But then they infiltrated Islam and kept their own secret society going. Uh, they, later on, another member, a later member, um, became a Catholic and brought all his residents into the Catholic Church as well. Uh, but initially, initially they'd all been Judaics. But they did not believe in traditional Judaism either. They believed uh, in pure Kabbalah. There was no good or evil. Uh, in fact, you need the, the both of them, they believed, to, to make a perfect um, singularity of, of a person or a world, for that matter, the, the constant conflicting part. They also said that anything that comes from through the Ensof, like the Holy Spirit type thing, call it what you want, from the Creator, anything that a human being could do and that goes for all perversions as well. Therefore, it was a natural thing to go through. So it gave license to behave any way you wish to. Interesting, too, in one of their groups um, that infiltrated the Catholic Church eventually, um, they had particular daughters that were specially bred, just like the Freemasons talked about with their dollies. And it was the highest honor was to mate, uh, not marry, but mate, and perhaps have an offspring, with uh, the, the daughters of some of these very high uh, members, yeah. and that's official stuff. You'll find that even on Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you, um, since we're talking about what we could do or what they're doing, um, for somebody like myself, like uh, to go out and to be an activist, to hand out literature, or to hand out DVDs, or to tell everybody about what's going on, like. You can only do so much. And it's like my friend told me, too. You're just pissing in the wind, more or less. Yeah, now, but, there's yeah. got to be another way to try and awake the masses where you're not sounding like a preacher or you're not coming off as a conspiracy nut. Like, I was wondering, 
yourself, if you have an opinion or an idea for what someone like myself and other listeners of yours who want to get the message out to let people know about the chemtrails and Agenda 21 Mm -hmm. and all the poisoning, like, is there something that we should be doing or that we could do that would maybe help along with the process? Or are we just all screwed and, and this is just a plan throughout history and it's going to happen no two ways about it? Our main problem, our main problem is the scientific techniques of dumbing us down that Bertrand Russell talks about were already being implemented in his day. And what you're seeing around you is the final outcome of it all. Uh, the, the people truly are dumbed down. They've been, a dumb, they've been given a dumbed-down uh, education. Um, they do believe that the media will tell them all they need to know. Uh, they are entertained more, more than they're actually informed about anything. Um, and they've been trained. They've been trained through, again, scientific methods of repetition, through even through adverts. Uh, you'd be surprised how many of the same little phrases you'll hear through all different kinds of ads, but they're all the same to reinforce uh, the primal um, indoctrination. And, and it's, it's through everything. It's through their movies. It's through what they watch in comedies. Uh, they're, they're constantly being trained, and uh, you cannot get through to most of them. It, it almost is... Um, it's a pointless cause, like, so to speak. Yeah, I, I've never I ever... say that because I don't yeah. want to be one to just give up. Like, I, I know no. there could be change, you know, but... But the thing is, as I say, you, you, you really are... We really are at the bottom here of... A, of an anything but democratic structure. There's never been real democracy. And most of them are who, who are still spouting on about democracy today are special interest groups who are pushing what appears to be the left-wing causes, but it's actually the global causes for their masters who are the richest people on the planet. And, and a lot of those guys who follow are, are simply brainwashed, um, uh, happy fools, willing fools. They're willing fools, as Albert Pike called them. They don't really know what they're champion, championing on or bringing in even by their championing. Their leaders certainly do. But um, there's no, nothing out there. There's no lobby group whatsoever from the grassroots uh, that wants um, a different system or even a system that we, that we thought we had but didn't. Uh, in the U.S., for instance, here's a dilemma in the U.S. Most folk are trying to go back to what they saw as a golden age. And... Um, what, what period in time do they want to go back to, you see? Do you want to go back to the Great Depression when the bankers collapsed the economies then and, and thousands of folk were? There was starvation in the U.S. then. Do you want to go back when, they, when, when outside forces gave you the Civil War and you were slaughtering each other, you know? Uh, do you want to go back where, where Wilson, under the command of uh, the Milner Group from Britain through Lord Grey, uh, got them involved in World War One? You know, or, or do they want to take up the burden of another world war? They're already paying for the, for the war on the world right now by standardizing the world. Massive debt. I mean, they can't get out of it, and this is going to finish them off. It's intended to finish them off as a, as a people. And that's where World War Two comes in, like where it gave everybody kind of a sense, a uh, false sense of uh, freedom. You yeah, know, it did. Like we've liberated the, the tyranny, and, and now we're free. And that, that was it. The past 50 years, like America has only thought that, that they're a free nation. Yeah. Really. And to be honest with you too, uh, I, I look at the, the cultural uh, society that's been created by the media and the big boys who have brought it down to the most debased level. It's completely debased. There's no morality anymore, you understand? And um, uh, young people are emulating what they see. The girls are emulating what they see. 
Everyone's been kept as a perpetual teenager, even though they're 60 or 70, that's watched television. Um, people don't get older and wiser. Uh, they get petrified of getting old, and they spend all their money trying to look young. Uh, it's, it's incredible what's been done in society. And um, what you really need is a movement to bring back um, a workable society with, a common, with common values, common values. And no special, no special interest groups, no special rights for any special minority and all this stuff. It has to go back to basic values for, for the people in general, you know. And, uh, without that, you're done for it. There's nothing, there's nothing to stand up for, um, when everyone's debauched at the bottom. The corruption in society, the personal corruption has gone so deep. Well, of all of the, the degeneration that they've been pushed through, the sexual revolutions, we accept abortion, and here I, I am reading about what they're going to do in the third world, or what they are doing in the third world country. Uh, we accept that, uh, and we go on about Adolf Hitler and, and his chimneys. Uh, every town and village uh, and city across the country has hospitals with weekly days set aside for nothing but abortions, and those chimneys are working well. We think that's all normal. Something's wrong. We have no value on life. And if you don't have any value on life, then those masters in control can do anything they want with you or your neighbor, and no one cares. Well, that's what I find when I when you try to tell people about these wars and, and who's backing them and how people are being maimed. And, and I tell them, like, one day that could be here. And they're like, no, no, it's not going to happen here. And then when you speak to them, you almost get like a gang mentality of people who gang up on you and and then they start ridiculing you and name-calling and stuff. Well, they will, because they are conditioned. It goes back to that programming, like you said, like it's yeah. the conspiracy nut, you know? Like Yes, and they have conditional, conditioned responses put to them uh, by the media again, where, again, celebrities come out on television, and they'll use the term conspiracy nuts. So that's all they have to do is parrot that, and uh, after all, the celebrity said it. But thanks for calling, and we'll be back after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And you remember too that uh, regardless of the protocols and so on, because it'll always be controversial as to who wrote it, go into the writings of the founders of the the Zionist movement because they're out there for for your perusal if you want to buy them. And uh, these guys were far more explicit in their aims and their goals uh, you'll find, and, and it's from their own, it's from the horse's mouths, the actual founders. It's kind of scary, actually, when you read them. But uh, it's also Darwinian because, I mean, uh, you understand that there were so many Jews in Germany, even in the 1800s, and, of course, even you, you find that um, Moses Hess really was the, the guy who came up with the idea eventually later in his life for a, a homeland for Israel, but he wanted it based exactly where it is, in Palestine, he said. And they took his bones over to, and, and he's over there in Israel today. But he was the guy who really was behind um, Karl Marx and uh, Engels. And it's very Darwinian. And they said himself that they got their nationalistic ideas from Germany that was rising up at that time as a nationalist country. All the countries were going nationalistic and proud and ready to fight each other. And so that, that went into their own particular understanding for their own people and gave them that same idea. But then you had, at the same time, you had Charles Darwin. And Darwin was on about the survival of the species. And, of course, the, the ones who survive are the most vicious and cruel and just look after their own. So technically, technically, Israel is, is doing exactly what Darwin would propose. 
making sure that against all odds they will uh, come out on top for their own people. And as I say, they really are an example for everyone else to copy if they care to. Because it's, there's nobody else to copy. They're the only nation allowed to be utterly nationalistic now in the whole world. Well, everyone else is getting taken down the tubes and losing whatever culture that they thought that they had. You see, there's a two ways, two ways of looking at everything. And always remember that. Two ways of looking at everything. But yeah, there's, there's definite uh, societies within every organized group and people. We're run by all kinds of groups. And, and many of them are linked together under the same lodges. And I'll try and get Emily in for the last minute, if we've got a minute to spare here. Are you there, Emily? I am, I am. And and now listening to you, I want to change my question, because I'm curious as to why Israel would be the only nationalistic nation left. Because they've never, comprom- they've never compromised with any other country. They've never compromised with any UN charter. And they remind me of the Soviet system because, again, too, it's a lot in common with the early Soviet system. The Soviet system would never agree with all the different agreements of the United Nations they put out for the rest of the countries. Russia would just say no, and Israel is exactly the same. Because they're well aware, too, that once you start uh, um, compromising, you start to lose. A compromise is actually losing. Whenever you compromise on anything, you're losing something. Yeah. And, and by the traditions and, and, and able to have that uh, luxury uh, to do that, and, and we are so, you know, beyond our control. Because the, the largest lobbying groups in the world are are, are Jewish groups, and that's the no secret. Uh, every country has admitted it. They're the largest groups for lobbying, so they do uh, lobby. They do put their time and energy and their money out on their on nobody but their own people. And that's why they will survive. Yeah. And it's by design. It's the, it's the same design. I mean, it's by design that we're brought down, and it's by design that they yeah. uh, will survive. That's right. The, the, old, the old statement you see is still quoted every week today is the nations come and go, but Israel is forever. You don't understand what that means. But thanks for calling the music's coming in. And from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, as good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.